so much for joining me again on Broken Boxes TV. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to note that we first met through this podcast project when I interviewed you back in 2015. And since then, we kind of have done a lot of work together as organizers, artists, producers, and friends. And I just really value you as a peer. And so many of us continue to look up to you and how on how to do better. And we look to you in the way you hold and demand for space for those who aren't always given a fair share of the pie, you know, um, so to speak. And so I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for all the work you do. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think yeah. sometimes it's difficult to um, know necessarily sometimes how the work is living or moving through the world. Um, so it's always nice to hear that. Mm. Yeah. And, and so for this podcast, I'd like to focus on your poetry and writing and social amplification work a bit and like really digging into your practice currently. And for those who are listening, who are interested, you can listen to our first conversation, me and Demian, on episode 32 in the Broken Boxes archive. And we've also done other podcasts together around Demian's work um, as the founder of RISE, which for those who don't know, um, RISE stands for Radical Indigenous Survivance and Empowerment and is an activist initiative for education and preservation of indigenous art and culture. And I've been so grateful to support the work of RISE over the years as an accomplice as well. So Demian, can you introduce yourself and what your practice is or how you identify with taking up space in the world right now at this time? My name is Demian Dene Yashe. I'm born to the clans Nastaje, Tabahe, and Totochitni of the Dene tribe. Uh, I currently live in Portland, Oregon, but I grew up in this small res border town called Gallup, New Mexico. Uh, my family is from Chinle, Arizona, which is on the Navajo reservation, more commonly um, amongst Diné folk uh, referred to as Dineta. Um, yeah, so uh, I work in all different types of mediums. Um, I think you know, working within like a transdisciplinary practice or a multidisciplinary practice or an anti-disciplinary practice. Uh, I think a lot of these concepts that, you know, have been cultivated with within, you know, the Western art paradigm uh, really, you know, exist naturally uh, within indigenous spaces, not only indigenous, but like black, brown, Asian, Pacific Islander, queer, trans, non-binary uh, philosophies and ways of being about in the world. Um, and I really think that a lot of it has to do with the ways that we are not only resilient, um, but the, the I, I think it's, it's just like intrinsically tied to like our survival. It's tied to our relationship with the cosmos. It's tied to um the fact that you know so much of of our customs and cultures and traditions or whatever the fuck you want to call it like is like interwoven into this like philosophy of wanting to recognize where we come from um that like 
hardcore like punk migration that you know we are continually um a part of you know we um as as human beings um we are not disconnected from the world itself we are not disconnected from the universe and so i think you know working in this way where you know we're able to just um you know dabble in sculpture over here and then like you know put out a poetry book like over here while um also you know trying to organize and create conversations like through social media um i think all of this is just like so connected to the ways that we have already been uh existing in the world the ways that we have for centuries on end um revered our connection to to the cosmos our connection to like a complicated and beautiful planet um and so i think you know a lot of indigenous black brown uh queer trans artists you know we're just continuing to figure out how to use our artistic practice to um completely uh dismantle you know man-made uh ill-conceived fucked up ideas of normativity and su su supremacy as it as it, it exists in white spaces and hetero spaces um cisgender spaces um so I, I feel like that's kind of where my practice is that's kind of not necessarily where it was originally situated in but is kind of where um it is headed and uh it's really yeah it's, it's it's a really tender and complicated and um terrifying thing sometimes what makes it terrifying what what is the terrifying aspect of um pushing pushing yourself into these spaces that have um have not been so receiving to people who identify in the way that you do look how you do activate how you do what what makes it terrifying and how are you working through that oh because our our lives and not our opinions but like speaking about the way that matters within the settler colonial nation state have existed and how they're corrupt and how they're fucked up and how they uh, continue to subjugate, exploit, and oppress citizens, and even like murder folks. Um, getting to the place where we are able to have that 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 voice, um, it takes years and years of so much undoing, um, and not every single person survives that. I remember going to this queer nude beach in Portland. And uh, this person, this radical fairy badger that I used to talk to, um, you know, he revered like indigenous cultures and such. I have my own opinions about radical fairies. We're not going to go into that, but I do like, I, I did like respect badger. Um, he was always very friendly and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, he kind of saw my evolution from a distance you know from like before i really started you know to become an artist when i was just like drinking a lot not really taking care of myself and such um and you know he sort of just like noticed it and like remarked about it after we hadn't seen each other for a while 
And, uh, you know, he, at one point he was like, you know, not everybody survives the truth. Like not everybody survives what, you know, we go through in order to get here. Uh, and I didn't really realize that at the time. Like I didn't, you know, even though I had gone through that and even though there were moments like in like leading up to like me deciding to become an artist and really focus on, you know, building the space that I currently inhabit right now, which, you know, by the way, like has taken over 10 years, but, you know, in order to get to that space, like, you know, I, I did have to like make a decision, like what, whether or not I wanted to survive, like whether or not I wanted to, um, to be here and not realizing like how easily I, I handed that power off to other people or how easily I handed that power off to, you know, Western generated ideas or um, uh, maybe not ideas, but um, tactics of, of corrupting and corroding indigenous peoples, you know, alcohol and substance abuse, like, you know, is historically um, has been used as a tool to just fuck with indigenous people. And so coming out of that, you know, it was, it, it, it really just revealed a lot about, I guess, just how, how susceptible I was to it, even though I felt that I um, was such a strong-willed person, you know? Um, but also uh, how much I was sort of like escaping who I was like as a queer person, as a indigenous person, as like this, like this, like young native queer person, like growing up in like a shitty town, like Gallup, New Mexico, you know, how much I wanted to escape that, you know, I was just back there. And, you know, whenever I go back, like really the only people who are there right now are my family, like all my friends are gone. Um, there are still some high school friends who live there. I just don't, reach out to them as often there are still people you know there are actually like uh, that's kind of fucked up because there are really amazing and wonderful people who are in Gallup making really amazing and incredible work but like that connection that I had to my childhood and like my adolescent years you know a lot of that is gone you know driving to the top of like a cemetery to look over the city and just like listen to like Ani DeFranco or um, the Smashing Pumpkins or something um, I, whenever I go back, I, I have this like weird nostalgia and romanticism of like wanting to relive that. Um, but there's no connection. The main connection that I have there is to like my family, is to my culture, is to um, what it means to be a Dene person existing in like two different worlds in a really small and fucked up conservative Republican, you know, ca Catholic, Christian and like Mormon town. And uh, so wanting to like speak out and have a voice within that setting was always really terrifying. Um, it was always scary, whether it was like confronting that um, and feeling like you couldn't really like say things out loud, even though like every single person in that town is like probably, you know, doing horrible shit at the same time. It was also feeling like existing just as like a queer person as a non-binary person as somebody who like didn't didn't necessarily like want to take up like space in like a masculine way in order to survive um speaking up against that like in a very like hyper masculine you know sort of um 
social atmosphere was also like threatening and terrifying. And uh, so I just feel like, you know, there, there, there are just all these like different multiple levels of fear that are in that, you know, we are meant to take on and uh, compartmentalize within ourselves. And it's meant to suppress us. It's meant to, to keep us from having a voice and speaking out about things. Um, and when we do, uh, we're always met with folks who tell us to get over it, um, to leave shit in the past. But that's not the way it's worked. You know, that's not the way indigenous communities work. You know, we are still trying to heal from centuries of like being ignored, centuries of I mean, if we really wanted to have a conversation about missing and murdered indigenous women or missing and murdered indigenous relatives, um, that number wouldn't be in the 5,000s. That number would be in the millions. Um, you know, we could we could really dig further back and talk about all the missing and murdered indigenous relatives who were, you know, killed through, you know, Western forms of genocide. And so, that's a hard truth that like a lot of Americans aren't ready for. And it's a hard truth that especially, you know, white settler colonizer descendants aren't ready for. They don't want to have it. They're not interested in it. They immediately get defensive. They write LOL on your posts. They tell you to die. They send you like hate messages and shit, you know, it's disgusting. Uh, so that's, what's terrifying is realizing that like, you know, there are people out there who want to do some really horrible, gnarly shit and speaking out in this way. Uh, it's a lot, you know, you have to already survive a lot. And then once you come to a place where you feel really confident and empowered in your voice, you also start to um, realize that it, it's, it's an ongoing cycle, that it never ends, that you're just going to continually confront this. Um, for the rest of your life. And I think the only thing that like brings me sort of comfort at this point is realizing that hopefully in speaking out um, and, you know, amplifying other folks who do it as well, like other amazing artists who are out there right now, like saying similar shit, more aggressive shit is the hope that like in the future for future generations, they won't have to confront this. And I know that it is possible. And I know that um, it is effective because there was a shit ton of indigenous, black, brown, queer, and trans people who in the 60s and 70s, 80s, and 90s said this did the exact same thing. And they made it possible for queer and trans folks to survive today. You know, they made it possible for us to like develop so many amazing languages and to create so many amazing spaces that that we didn't have back then and to see that visibility and I know visibility isn't like everything but like even just to see other people who look like you or who are thinking the same things that you do who or who are interested in the same things that you do to see them out there and being their true selves is like so fucking beautiful and that 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 was so rare you know when I was growing up so I, I just hope that, or I know that it's coming. I know that, you know, there there is like hope beyond the horizon, that the horizon isn't just like the end of it.
Um, I wanted to invite you to read an excerpt from your last self-published poetry work, An Infected Sunset. I feel like um, the kind of ideas that you unpacked through that work of poetry really reflects what you've just kind of been speaking on. Yeah, so and I wrote An Infected Sunset back in 20, or I began writing it in 2016. I remember the I, I I remember the day I went to the river to write it. I had to go back to New Mexico to do this project with um, Chip Thomas out in Shanto on the reservation. And I was really torn because a part of me was like, "Oh, you should also go to Standing Rock, you know, like you should you should be there right now." And um, it was just so weird and alienating being in Portland, like drinking coconut water sitting on this like really beautiful beach, you know, it was like such a beautiful day. There was like not a cloud in the sky and I'm just sitting right next to the Columbia river and just feeling really isolated from everyone that whole summer, just feeling isolated from, from people, you know, the pulse nightclub shooting had happened. Black lives matter had like, you know, taken like such a stronghold and the, Standing Rock, no dapple resistance was like in full swing. And I was just feeling so torn, wanting to be in all these spaces, wanting to be in anywhere else but Portland, but um, also having the luxury to like be in this beach, be near, near like very sacred water for, you know, various indigenous tribes. Like that river is like a very sacred space. Um, for for salmon and fish and wildlife and plant life, like that river and that gorge is like such a sacred space. So anyway, I uh, I started writing this book and I really wanted to just like do it all in one full sweep, um, publish it and put it out. And so I started writing, you know, the 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 chapbook version of an infected sunset. And I pretty much wrote that within like two days. And I initially I had wanted to really focus on just trying to stay as true to the original content as possible. However, like gnarly it was, like whether there were errors or not, like whether or not like I, I wanted to like change things. I really wanted to like just keep it as like raw as possible. And then I wanted to just go to print immediately. Like I just wanted to put that fucker out. Uh, that didn't happen. And I got really like consumed and like thrown into um, work at that point, going back home, you know, going back to the res, you know, hearing res bands play like on the side of the road and like just all these other things were happening around me as well. And like, um, I was so fortunate to be like in the middle of it to like, you know, see weed rat perform or whatever, you know. And um, I realized that I needed to keep writing this and that it needed to have more life to it. Uh, eventually, you know, we went through that election, Asshat got nominated and put into office and the entire, you know, structure of the poem just completely like disintegrated and changed. And so what you see with the, 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 the final production of An Infected Sunset is like one, one half of it is a chapbook and the other half of it is, these unbound pages, which I've dubbed the liberated poem. And through my performance of that piece, I really was also thinking about what initially 
drew me to write that book, to even make it a book, to even make it a poem or bring it into existence. And a lot of it had to do with like wanting to be there for community. And so whenever I reperform that piece, I really tried, I think, you know, most of the times, like nine times out of 10, uh, I performed that piece from beginning to end. You know, there were little instances here and there where like, I just did excerpts. Um, but whenever I perform that piece, I, you know, I try to do it from beginning to end, no breaks or anything and just, you know, go hard for it. It's usually, you know, ends up being a little bit over an hour or something like that. Um, but that piece is like, it, you know, it, it becomes a, an offering to community. And so I try to think of this piece also as like a performative endurance piece that is, you know, also tied to like a, a, a ceremonial ritual, ritualistic offering to community. And so when I perform it, you know, when I get to the liberated poem, I start to just discard the pages and, you know, they just fall all over the floor around me. Um, and that is sort of that gesture of like making an offering, you know, for the Diné folks, you know, we put out corn pollen and with our fingers, you know, at, at sunrise. And so this is sort of that similar gesture. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's 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 kind of interesting to go back and read it because I, I feel like it sets a tone for this new book that I'm working on. Um, but it also just I feel like, you know, encapsulates that time period in a really nice way. Whether that's just for myself or the community or whatever, you know, like it's it's nice to at least record a lot of that progress of of because I feel like even not only poetry, but like even some of like the social issues that are brought up within the poem, like some of the things that I'm trying to talk about, or even some of the the links and connections I'm trying to make, like even those have changed since they've been written uh, or since I wrote them. Uh, so it's just interesting also to see the way that things evolve over time. But yeah, I can read an excerpt. Yeah, it's also interesting to have a little bit of space as well to kind of like reflect on that book because I haven't read it in so long like I remember the last time I read it I was like I was thinking like oh this might be the last time I read it for a while because I kind of want to step away and work on something else and you know I started working on Shatter like soon after um Shatter's this other performance endurance piece that I do but it's I I've I've been tempted to kind of go back to it um so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to um come back to this work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a couple excerpts from the liberated poem. Manuel asks me if I edit anything I write. I tell them no. What I wanna say, who has time for that at this day, at this age, at this hour in 2016, somehow I'm thirsty for tomorrow, even if it is as uninhabitable and endangering as they say it will be. I anticipate tomorrow because memories provoke me. Memories that create the present moment, memory, habit, 
A breath is our gateway to the future. And by the time we see the future, the present moment has already passed. A split second, dissected, deconstructed, reconstructed to fit the memory. Scent provokes the memory. Senses awaken dormant memory. Memory like broken down particles of sand. And I don't believe there are more stars in the universe than all the sand on earth. I refuse to admit that each grain of sand is a star wedged between the toes on my feet. That each star is secondary to my will to exist to move, to migrate on this planetary body, by foot, by plane, by automobile, by motorbike, a white Dodge Dakota. Like the one Eric and I slept in the bed of in Northern California when we packed the tent we'd erected to escape any potential threat of homophobic violence and drunken ridicule. He was seriously worried and couldn't see past it. And I'm an anxious, introverted hypochondriac. So within five minutes, we were packed up and driving around trying to find a place to sleep for the night. We pulled behind a mound of gravel beside the highway and crawled into the back, into the bed of the truck and slept until the morning sun told us we had more living to do. We never fucked, even though we shared similar politics. Sometimes I think I'm too broken to fuck, but I fall in love anyway. Too broken to fuck because it exposes me, tickles me, makes me laugh or turns me into an exposed, decomposing slab of insecurity or is painful in a way that my body has not yet forgotten. My sex has memory, whether I remember it or not, whether it is visible to the outside world or documented like my birth. And uh, I'm going to go into an excerpt from the liberated poem some excerpts. Why are we always reading the names of our dead? Too much body to memorize, but it feels familiar anyway. This is how we have been taught to memorize bodies or entire regions of the earth. Did anyone teach you how to photograph the sun through the trees? And I remember the breeze the way the grass grazes my arm like an ancestral sensation. And this is how we have been taught to memorize one another. But you will never know the way water comes against this skin or light enters these eyes or blue sky weighs down against my horizon or gives way to the darkness of time travel until we are once again bathed in light. We are born into the concept of war we are born and wars are already being actively fought. We are assigned social security numbers before we are even promised security. If we are even promised security, we are born into war crying before we learn to laugh, before we are taught how to apologize, before we are taught the truth about the sins of our country. Forget American art. Forget the smallpox blankets, forget the word for the white man, forget Columbus and every white president, forget their faces, their gender, their preface, their fall from grace, their busted down broken hearts and burning homes, forget the American flag, forget the artifacts and the alternative facts, forget their science and evolution, 
forget their history, forget their mythologies and astrological inquiries, their gods and goddesses and co-opted religions, forget their sexual empowerment, forget their inability to resist until centuries later, until enough brown bodies have died, until enough brown bodies have ignited the flame and shown them the way, until our resistance to their bullshit is enough of a reminder for them to consider that we all have a right to survive. Forget their limits and borders and insecurities and intergenerational psychosis. Forget the way they kiss or cry or feel victorious. Forget their monuments and one-sided civil liberties. Forget their freedom and patriotism and traditions. Forget their faces searching yours for any acceptance or validation. But do not forget their language. Hold that against them like a non-complicit Bible or a knife or a gun and then forget the gun and the knife and the Bible. Sometimes my hair is black fire sweeping through an infected landscape, polluted by the rotting corpses of white supremacists. I imagine I am one of my ancestors overlooking saggy, watching all the cornfields ablaze, and then someone hits the fast forward button and I'm suddenly standing on the Washington side of the Columbia River Gorge, watching a forest fire light up the sky in the black womb of night. I stop to blink my eyes and realize I'm actually sitting on the opposite side of a computer screen watching it documented in a GIF image and the swell of devastation rolls over me like a musical score. And it is at this moment I am reminded that my DNA predates the concept of a bitmap image. This is the way settler colonial trauma settles into the body of the colonized. We unconsciously relive the genocides and brutalities inflicted against our ancestors, the shame, the rape, the beatings, the enslavement, the white bodies with their killing machines and unholy structures of torture and discipline, the distrust, the disease, the disgust, the deceit, the miseducation and immoral fixations, the flamboyant uniforms asserting some imaginary power. My ancestors will not let me forget this. And every American flag is a warning sign. Even the one my grandfather was given as a co-talker. The body is a sacred site and we are mere extensions of the land. Gravity is a lover I call my home. All we know is our ancestors were wild as comets and cosmic wind. I wanna show you a trace of what was left after I found you what piece of myself was left over from all the past lives to speak to you through a breeze and run my nails against your bark? The way a memory struggles against the force of forward motion in an aging body you've known intimately, the nooks and the smells and the blemishes, the smell of alcohol mixed with cigarettes, the moment of surrender that brings your lips against their skin as your nostrils expand to memorize their sex. I'll, I'll just end there. Thank you so much. Yeah. I recently came across this. Um... Yeah, you're welcome. Sorry. <laughs> I was just like in this space <laughs> of like scrolling through some of the pages, but um, I recently came across this page that I left out. Um, 
so like there's an entire page that is like missing from like the 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 book itself i don't know how i fucked that up but i did that's amazing i mean yeah. it's not amazing that's fucked up <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's special you got to do a reprint because aren't they all sold out i mean there's like a well yeah they are i dropped a couple off at blue stockings in new york and um i should have made sure to verify that i don't know they I, I don't know what happened to them. Um, but I was looking at, you know, some other potential spaces um, that might have them. And I think Lace, Lace in Los Angeles, uh, I was looking on their website the other day and it looked like they had four copies available. So they might, they might still have some. But yeah, for the most part, it's sold out. And I think in order to include this in future editions, it would have to be through like a second edition which would look completely different than the um the the first edition you write design and publish all of this yourself yeah. the, your poetry works right well partially um the first one yeah uh the second one john akira harold had designed the cover and the way that it is enveloped and packaged and so, you know, they, they have, um, they have helped me with some of the, the decisions of, you know, putting out the final book, the final product and such, but yeah, that, that cover, that really beautiful cover with like the, you know, the blue sleeve that, you know, holds it all together. Yeah. That was all designed by John. Wow. John's amazing. Yeah. They're, and I'm hoping to work with them in this next book. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, they're so good. Um, it feels like text runs through your work mm -hmm. in every medium you use, you know, be it social media or through posters or even through neon, through poetry. What does text mean to you? What is your main focus uh, with using text in your work and how has it shifted over the past five or so years? Oh, uh, I, well, I started off as a writer. So I was really interested in like 90s singers, songwriters, you know, like Fiona Apple and, you know, Lilith Fair type shit. And that's how I got into poetry. You know, I really wanted to sort of write about these things or just write about how I was feeling. You know, I really got really into PJ Harvey at some point and that sort of like, you know, changed everything about the way that I wrote. And um, that was my, you know, I, I've, I, I feel like, writing you know really just led me into wanting to create visual work wanting to sort of like mix these two things together i was really interested in like photography and such and so um i became really interested in sort of just you know putting text like onto the photography or putting you know bringing text into like a visual arts practice and i think you know the 90s is like was hugely influential for me there was so much text being used like in movies and um in uh music videos uh advertisement um it was just like this you know it was it's advertising in general is just like very text heavy growing up like on the res like growing up in like a reservation border town like gallup you know sometimes like my only sort of like exposure to 
um, what was happening outside was like through magazines, um, through pop culture, through commercials, through MTV and shit, you know, um, that entire generation. Gregor Rocky used like a lot of text in his movies. So I was just really fascinated at, at like how that be became like a tool for creating awareness and like subculture and like connection for people how it's also spoke out to like alienation as well and text can be really abrasive too and i think like one of the things you talked about in the beginning of our chat today is how you you very much are on the forefront of like dismantling and deconstructing like continued oppression oppressive systems right yeah. and text feels like a really powerful way to do that especially because we live in public we live through a lens of social media and um and you activate you hold a lot of space in social media as an advocate for indigenous and queer people and can you talk about some of the biggest challenges for indigenous queer artists in the art world and how you're finding your way through that space maybe using platforms like social media yeah i i began using social media sort of as a extension of my practice. Sometimes I feel like social media is uh, a notebook to a certain degree, like it's a sketchbook. At least that's how I started off with a lot of, you know, the, the posts that I would create through Rise or my own Instagram. I think that's obviously changed because Rise has, you know, accumulated like such a large following. So, you know, then I have to like start to, um, be more mindful of certain things, which is not like a bad thing, like people be more mindful and aware and um, conservative shit like is the way things should be. But yeah, uh, I some of the aesthetic choices that I think Rise has taken on is like this like red background, um, which of, of course is like, you know, pushing like indigenous aesthetics, you know, red being, you know, a, a symbol of like, power, life, you know, red power, um, activism of like the 60s and 70s and such. But, you know, sometimes that because of the way that Instagram works, you know, there's like this really bold italicized option, um, uh, sans serif option. And so using these two things together, like the, it also like ev um, evokes like Barbara Kruger's like aesthetics and such which I'm so pissed off about because like, I do respect Barbara Kruger, but at the same time, I'm like, she doesn't get to take the color red, you know? She doesn't get to like, take like these aesthetics away from indigenous people. So like, fuck it, I'm just gonna keep using it. And that'll be like a subtle call out as well to like white artists. But I, I feel like that's, uh, that's been a difficult space for, for myself and for Rai, so to, to, to take on. And again, it goes into this whole terrifying, aspect of like speaking out um i think it's really really fucking difficult to like speak out as an indigenous person um about indigenous issues um if it's more broad it's easier but if you're like wanting to call one specific thing out it is like such a tender and hard thing to hard space to hold because of lateral violence but um that that's one aspect of it but the major point part of it is like the fact that so many indigenous people give hetero cisgender artists so much power, 
that the rest of us, and especially Indigenous women, queer, trans folk, two-spirit folk, don't really feel like we can speak out about things without being, having our opinions swept under the rug or being treated like shit, you know? And uh, so it's really, it's really difficult. But I think one way, a lot of the ways that Rice has been successful is just, um, really using like social media and using Instagram to interrogate the way that a lot of these power systems are at play and how, and making people more aware of how they need to be dismantled. I don't think, I, I know that for sure, we don't necessarily have like the best answers for that. Um, I think these are, these are, you know, these, a lot of the times we are like um, putting out questions that aren't answerable but that doesn't make the question any less valid. That doesn't make like the root cause of it any less valid. Um, the concerns that we bring up are brought up with the hopes that like we begin to focus on the, the ways that a lot of marginalized and hyper-marginalized communities uh, don't have access, don't have privileges, oftentimes aren't heard. And how like that is also uh, perpetuating this like settler colonial logic that still runs strong in indigenous communities, indigenous and through indigenous accounts that are supposedly um, stepping up and like having this like hardcore, like tradition, like don't fuck with us vibe, but at the same time cannot post about like the need for like HIV and AIDS awareness on, you know, national native HIV and AIDS awareness day. Um, there is, so much hypocrisy that I feel like a lot of accounts and spaces put out there. And it's even more disheartening when it comes from like your own, your supposed own community and people, um, folks who should know better and they don't. And so, I, you know, I think, you know, as imperfect as Rise is, and I don't think, you know, it'll, it will always be necessary. And I hope it's not always necessary. I hope we get to a place where like, we're able to have these conversations and enact these changes that we need to on like a realistic day-to-day -day basis. But for the time being, um, you know, RISE needs to exist in order to challenge the, 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 the normativity that exists out there, the complacency that folks have out there, um, but also as an example of like how, how to fuck up, because we do fuck up, you know? And instead of doing it like these other accounts do where they just go silent, don't say shit for like weeks on end, you know, I, I think it's also it's also necessary that we um, that we exist imperfectly, that we acknowledge the fact that um, we are all constantly growing, that we didn't just wake up and like get born into what we deem woke politics or what is deemed woke politics, you know, like um, it's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of fucking up, but like if we're meant to get to the spaces that we need to get to, we have to be strong enough to help one another sometimes. And I'm not talking about helping like, you know, this like hetero cis normative white person, you know, I mean, like helping like each other in, in terms of like, you know, queer trans communities of color, you know, like that's where we need to show up for one another. They can figure out their shit on themselves. They can use Google and they can, um, 
learn to <laughs> learn to actually build trust with our communities but like we need to be there for ourselves and for one another and uh i hope rise will always exist as a platform that um is working to do that i know that we haven't always done that in the past um you know we've been called out and dragged but fuck i i i would rather have that than like this like fake community shit that like other you know platforms boost and um yet they can't even show up on on days when their own people need them you know yeah and it also feels like a lot of your work through the years calls out so-called allies but it also calls on accompliship and i just want to name that like both you and i through the work we do we are accomplices for other communities who we're mm. in solidarity with. I don't think accompliceship only is for white, cis, hetero people to align with people who don't have as much privilege. I think like what you're saying is really important because it goes across the access point. You know, it's like kind of counteracting lateral violence. And um, yeah, it's something that both of our work does. And that's why I really like, I think that we vibe so well yeah <laughs> that was a little hearkening back to the 90s there with my language <laughs> but um what have you learned as an indigenous queer artist about how to ask for what support is needed from your accomplices and how can can you name how accomplices can do better uh and I know that it's like, why do you have to constantly have this conversation and do this labor? Like part of me is like embarrassed to even ask, but I think it's important yeah. that we do kind of allow that dreaming and visioning of like, how do we want you to come into our spaces if you're gonna come in to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's always challenging. You know, as much as I, I want accomplices to do better, I also realize that like I need to do better or Rise needs to do better, that there are a plethora of um, other folks who need more voice, who um, need to speak more, who deserve more space. You know, Black Natives, Afro-Indigenous um, communities need more of a voice and a presence disabled uh, neurodivergent communities need more voice and presence i think if 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 things are set up like a hierarchy to a certain degree you know i have certain benefits and privileges that like other people don't have and so what is it what is my responsibility and duty to other folks to help them have more um, access um, to have them the to have to allow them to have the same amount of like privileges and such, you know, even, you know, res folks who are like hardcore living on the res um, reconnecting as like horrible and beautiful as it is to exist in that space. Um, I think that if we all asked ourselves these, these questions, then we could you know, really figure out um, how to coexist per se, but also we could, we could, you know, figure out um, how to be there more for one another and how to show up properly for one another. 
I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to hold more space in, in whatever way that I can through Rise's account, through my own account for other folks. I think it's also something that we initiate with the choices that we make, with who we engage with, with who we support as well. There are a shit ton of indigenous artists out there, queer artists out there, um, two-spirit artists out there, um, whatever. There's just a shit ton of artists out there, period, who like are in it just for themselves, who just want that glory like all for themselves. Um, you can see it. It's very visible. It's not hard to like recognize. And I think once we really begin to like understand and notice it, um, then we demand that those artists do better. We demand that those people do better, that they show up better for one another. And so I think that's, I think those are ways that we can like begin to change things. Um, it's not enough to just, you know, push decolonial politics here, feminist politics there. You know, we need to actually like be enacting these um, theories and ideologies within our practices. The way that we work with and against institutional spaces, uh, the way that we simultaneously challenge them, the way we challenge the art world or the publishing world. Um, you know, we have that power. Uh, we don't just sign that power off to anybody else. We don't just give that power away. Like our, our work, our work exists with or without their presence with or without what they give us. And they know that. That's why they that's why they give us contracts. That's why they want to sell our asses out there. They know exactly how powerful we are. But we can't forget the fact that we that we ultimately hold that power. That we ultimately will continue to thrive within that power as well and the communities that we build with it. Dang. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's it's really beautiful to like be critical of ourselves as we're critical of the world, you know, and like kind of practice deconstructing how we can do things better as an example, how to call on institutions and oppressive social structures to do better, right? Because oh, yeah. if we don't have something to replace the thing we're dismantling, the 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 very thing that we dismantle just grows within ourselves right so it's oh, very yeah. that awareness and mindfulness like you hearkening back to what you were talking about mindfulness before it's so critical because we can become the very thing if we aren't careful so thank you for naming that oh yeah of course i'd like to invite you to close out um, by reading an excerpt of your forthcoming poetry publication. And if you'd like to let us know any specifics about this work, when to expect it, or where you are with it. Uh, this next piece is, this next book uh, is titled We Left Them Nothing. I started writing it before the pandemic. I think as artists, right, we try to like look into the future and um, create work for that future. Um, whatever that looks like, uh, or whatever we want it to look like, we, we're, we're continually dreaming about that. And so I was trying to, you know, look into the future to a, to, to a certain extent. And that led me into writing We Left Them Nothing. 
but it was taken on this like very sort of 90s nihilistic pessimistic view of the future that was all about failing that was all about fucking up you know like oh we fucked up the world like this is what we left the future generation we didn't leave them anything i hate saying that the 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 pandemic was like a beautiful thing because like so much lives so many so much life was lost unnecessarily that it was poorly handled um and, and everything but i the the parts of it that i do think were that we that that we could have learned from and that some of us did learn from was uh how the ways that we were existing prior to that were just not useful were fucking grotesque and disgusting i'm thankful that like you know my my family is in good health and came out of it safe um but at the same time you know i think we we needed that that pause that we needed to reevaluate the ways that we were living our lives and it's really tragic right now that like we're being thrust right back into it um like nothing like almost erasing everything that had just happened just so we can keep capitalism alive just so we can like keep this like endless consumption alive and so you know we left them nothing was sort of thinking about this future that sort of happened with the pandemic you know the i was talking about like leaving nothing for the future generation and at the same time like you had all this all these photographs of like toilet paper and canned foods and grocery stores like being like or just just aisles in grocery stores being barren, you know, like no food whatsoever for folks to eat, um, especially for people who like live on the street. And so, you know, I was sort of like talking about, you know, this as like resource extraction. And, and you know, some other folks brought up beautiful points about also how the vaccines right now are also extractive, that, you know, poor countries aren't getting like the best vaccines that the United States is getting. And anyway, that that's that, that that's a whole entire issue, separate issue right there. But this book is, you know, was initially about embracing that pessimism and that nihilism um, about how fucked up things were. It got stunted and stalled by the pandemic because I just could not like simultaneously work on a book that just felt so close to home. Um, with everything that was going on at that time. But what came out of it was this sort of like hopefulness that 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 shines through through all of that. Um, that we need that pessimism, that we need that like nihilism in order to like appreciate the the the, the resistive strategies that we have against settler colonial empire, that these are all tactics that, could be useful in order for us to um, create and shape a future. And so what ends up happening through We Left Them Nothing is, you know, there, there, there is that hope. There is, you know, prayer and light at the end of it. Um, but yeah, I'll read you an excerpt of it right now. Thank you. Thank you also for chatting with me, Demian. Oh, you're so <laughs> welcome. All right, here we go. Just because you don't remember them 
just because you never experienced them, just because you never bothered questioning the history you were spoon fed, doesn't mean the Indian wars aren't resolving themselves inside my body. Doesn't mean my disobedience isn't necessary for my survival. Doesn't mean your betrayal of this political system won't compromise our fight for sovereignty. Eyes on the sun, shining heels, gray, overcast, background, outcast memory, distorted sound mechanism, distorted asphalt rhythm, sunflower forgiveness, distorted memory, sunflower madness, sun, sun, soon, assuming the sun, soon the sour, exhuming the sun, sooner than power, soon the sun, monsoon, cower, exhume the flower, distorted sunflower, soon power assumes the cower, if not the sun spreads fecund and flower mile marker 241 like what the fuck eyes on the memory now an ancestor now an oral tradition now a victory against hetero supremacy eyes on the road eyes exhume the memory eyes on the pin prick where the sun rises not there where it sets instead of the flatness of normative flat earth masculinity instead of the suffocating city suffocating prism suffocating land held hostage confined to a prison land held back land back against the border land back against the wall land knees scraping against asphalt land back to the safety of your ancestors land back to the womb birthing rainbows and genderless cosmic chiji plateau mother fucking earth daddy fucking bombs machines guns cannibalistic corpse of the city suffocating city suffocating sun suffocating city suffocating flower suffocating city suffocating memory suffocating nostalgia now becomes ritual now becomes hydration now becomes rainfall through wooded trees away from the shit 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 city shit now becomes rainfall through wooded trees away from the shit 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 city now becomes nutrient now becomes no service now becomes matrix unplugged now becomes extractive threat now the sky becomes clouds of sheep fat and the highway is down to fuck between runaway towns and failed industries colonized institutions and detailed gentrification now the memory becomes blood sauce flies swarming around bloody earth and earth becomes child's laughter chiji elbows and chiji love lights driving in the holy fuck of night might be sublime might be drunk suspicion might be the last song she heard and anxious star formations constellations submit to memorize betrayal and the truth smears like chiji knees against distorted asphalt pebbles asteroid their way into your skin and the sun rises like a black hole exposing the sacred clit America isn't a community. <clears throat> America isn't a community. America is an individual. America is an other. America is me first. America is a contest battlefield conceived by broken, humiliated and terrified men of yore, where the rich have fooled citizens into believing that getting them richer quicker, thereby gives them power to wield over starving and neglected neighbors. They create self-worth Hierarchies based entirely around homophobia, transphobia, ableism, ageism, fatphobia, racism, classism, and fear. Anything to denounce their own manufactured humanity, anything to denounce 
their own revolu evolutionary growth, anything to shatter their breathtaking reflection. They denounce the very universe that grants them access to witness the raw beauty of chaos and chance encounters, sacred elements that travel light years beyond human conceptions of time. America doesn't have to be an asteroid, comet, end. You ask for proof, you ask for an essay, you ask for a research-based process, you ask for an article, you ask for a resume or CV, you ask for access to my community, you ask for any colonial document or exhaustive labor to confirm my existence. And when you ask, you negate my existence. You ask because you confuse that with permission to exploit my sacred energy. Your want and desire to know more, your want and desire to validate yourself through my struggle means that you are not yet aware of how my existence is a delicate weapon that could destroy corrupt empires. I'll stop there. <laughs>